0: Growing up at Costa Mesa, you know, and living in Newport when I was in law school, I always knew I wanted to be back here in Orange County. And there's really sort of like two or three really top tier law firms in, in Southern California that's straddling where I'm at, Ratana Tucker, O'Melveny, and Myers. And quite frankly, you know, coming out of Loyola, Loyal is sort of a, a third tier law school to SC, UCLA, et cetera. And there's not as many opportunities coming out of there as there are some other schools. But I got lucky. I mean, I, I only had, I think, like three or four job interviews as a you know graduating from law school, but I got offers from all three or four of those. Where like people who were at the very top of the class in Loyola, they had, you know, gazillions of interviews and they may or may not have gotten offers. But so I had sort of limited options, but I mean, I interviewed and I got hired.
1: Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence.
2: Welcome to the show, and I'm really hoping that you're sharing this with your friends because we're all about helping people find their careers, and there's lots of careers we're profiling, including lawyers. Our first ever lawyer on the show. We are talking to Brian Forbath today, the president of his law firm, Straddling Yoka Carlson and Roth, one of the biggest, most prestigious law firms in Orange County, California. Brian is fluent in Spanish. He's going to talk about the little edge that that brings him. He's going to talk about excellence is being top in your field and the person people go to when they need help. He's lived a life of hard work and exemplified values constantly and consistently that helped him build a reputation that gets clients and keeps friends. He's going to talk about being nimble and observant. And my favorite, the need to be entrepreneurial if you're going into law school. Welcome to the edge of excellence. Well, 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 Brian Forbath, welcome to the edge of excellence. Back. Good to be here. Yeah, very interesting. We got Brian Forbath on the show today because Brian Forbath, I don't know if you know this Brian Forbath, but you're my fourth oldest friend. I got three friends from high school. I got a few friends from college. You got the three that came ahead of you in high school. Well, then there's my wife. So fifth, because I've known my wife since fifth grade, as you know. Um, but you're my fifth my fifth oldest friend. We've been close for a long time. I know you're a filthy, dirty lawyer like all of them are. And we talk about it on the show all the time. If you go to law school, you got some sort of motivational issue. We're going to get into what maybe why Brian breaks that mold. But you're my closest And fifth oldest friend. And I didn't even plan on having you on the podcast till I went out to lunch with your son to help him with internships. And then I went, oh, I don't have any lawyers on the podcast. What about your dad? So thank you so much for making time from the ivory tower. I think the most prestigious law firm in Orange County, California the most prestigious county in the United States. And I didn't even know this till a couple of days ago. Not only are you a lawyer, but you're the president of the law firm. So we want to know how the hell you got there. And before we get to the entire path, I got to get to Brian Forbeth. What is your definition of
0: excellence? My definition of excellence is somebody that is at the top of the field of of whatever their enterprise or what they do. And that um, being that they are sort of the person that you want that people go to when they need help for one reason or another. And in, in law firms, that's what I define as excellence. It's not necessarily financial success, although that's part of it too. But it's really are you are you the person that we're gonna call when we got a problem? So that guy is to be excellent.
2: Yeah. And I, and I know uh, uh, as a side note, Brian Forbath, 1999, you and I are sitting up in Orcas Island, Washington, and you tell me, hey, Matt, you should go do this charity work at the charity. My mom started. Your mom started the largest assistance-based charity in Orange County. I was on the board of it for a long time. You spend more time doing stuff for other people and for charities than probably anybody I know, or at least just about anybody I know. You live you live in a nice house, but you don't live in a ridiculous house. You drive normal cars. You're like the Warren Buffett of lawyers. Say so you don't care about the money, but it is a metric, right? It is a metric of how well you're doing.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a metric. And, and I mean, and you know, any lawyer who said they didn't care about the money who's in private practice is lying. To you. I, I mean, it's it's part of it. I mean, you know, nobody's really doing it just for the love of the game. I mean, it, it's part of, you know, why we work so hard. You know, you know lawyers work hard in, uh, in order to make money, you got to work hard being a lawyer.
2: And, and, and the, uh, conflicted ones will say, cause my theory is you go to law school cause you want to make money. Uh, the, uh, you went to law school cause all your siblings did. The conflicted ones are probably like you. They donate all their money to other people and they make the world a better place. Some of them gobble it up and buy Rolls Royces. I know that's not your style, Um, but I just boats, Matt, just boats. Oh, yeah, just boats, which, by the way, it's time to take me out. So top of the field, the person that people go to because they need help. And interesting that Brian Forbath, the helper of others and from the Forbath family of helping others, puts that in his definition of excellence and finance might be a metric. And if you're running a charity, how much money can you raise for the charity? How much money can you give to the community? Finance is always a metric. A lot of times people think it's an end goal. You also kind of imply excellence as perceived by others. So I I don't ever get the vibe that you you really consider yourself excellent, but others do. So it's part of the definition.
0: Yeah, I mean I I think a big problem in in law in general and and life, right, is there's a bunch of people that are full of themselves. (laughs) You know, and and and, you know, I, I find you know there's successful people who are successful because they portray themselves as successful to the world. And whether they're really successful or not, who knows? That'll be at the end of the day. But at the end of the day, you're, you're sort of judged by who you are as a human being and what you've done and what you've achieved. And, and I, I think the best perception of that is what other people sort of think and feel about you and, and not necessarily what you feel about yourself. Because Again, I, I think lawyers suffer from, from ego problems in, in general. It's, it's, it's a plague. So, so
2: do entrepreneurs, by the way. It's respect. It's
0: respect. So yeah. part of
2: excellence is the respect you get from others. If you're the most respected in your field, you're most likely the most excellent in your field.
0: Yeah, and respect, but it's also, you know, who, who part of that respect is gonna call when they when they've got something hard, you know, like there's lots of people that can do easy things, right? But when when shit hits the fan and you've got a problem that you're gonna call to fix your problem or to sort of figure out how to solve it for you. Right on. Well, before, yeah, yeah. before
2: you were the most respected lawyer in Orange County, the That's most that. respected lawyer, at Stratagoka Carlson and Roth. Um, before that, before you were this incredible community impactor and Brian forbest family started the largest assisted faith charity in Orange County, feeding and medically taking care of. And uh, social work taken care of. The family started another charity called Soy. If you're looking to donate some money to charities, you can find SOS and Soy online. If you're looking to become a partner in a law firm, you can find Brian at Straddling, Yoka, Carlson, and Roth. But before that, before you were a president of a law firm, a partner of a law firm, an associate in a law firm, way back in time in Costa Mesa, California, living... Alrighty in a two-story house filled with boxes and a killer hot tub in the backyard. Uh, What was life like at Estancia High School? What were you doing
0: to get ahead early in life? You know, again, so I was the youngest of seven kids. And so I, you know, there's always sort of a path of very successful sort of scholarship in my family. My, My mom obviously is, is honestly one of the smartest people I know in this world. She, I mean, she could and nicest and, and
2: kindest and most generous and most beautiful.
0: And she could have succeeded in doing anything she wanted to do. My dad was very smart too. So, you know, I, I had, um, you know, um, sister, two sisters that were valedictorians. I had, uh, all my brothers and sisters before me went on to four year colleges and achieved well. So, it's you know, I, I had sort of, I don't know, in, sort of ingrained pressure that, um, you know, you got to sort of apply yourself in high school. L- luckily, I was smart enough in high school that at that point in time that, you know, I could sort of do well and, and do really well without really having to try all that hard. Um, that's sort of why I, I quit math in year and had to become a lawyer. Okay. So you quit math in college and had to become a lawyer, but you're at
2: Estancia High School you and i was thinking about this the other day i called my dad up and i said uh, you know i keep getting all these head shrinkers and i'm sitting in my business group and we brought these head shrinkers in to talk about how to be better parents and i'm sitting there you know first of all i'm thinking how the hell do you parent without all these resources Uh, because i have all these people training me all the time second thing i was thinking was god i i sucks to be my kid like how how much pressure is it And i came home to jake and i'm like dude I got to talk to you. I mean, it must suck to be my son. He's like, yeah, it does. It does. He's cleaning his room. I'm like, yeah, you're going to find me if I don't clean your room. You're the worst. I said, no, that's not what I meant. Just the implied pressure. So you not only had it from your parents, you had it from all your siblings, this ingrained pressure. How did you turn that into, instead of debilitating and depressing, how did you turn that into motivating and exciting?
0: Well, I think, you know, I was, all I I think I was sort of blessed with sort of a work ethic and, and, you know, um, you know, my family, you know, my dad was, you know, put seven kids through college. He was a, he was an aerospace engineer. I think the most money he ever made before he retired was 70 grand a year. So, you know, raising seven kids and put all those through college on that sort of salary, it didn't leave sort of lots of money sitting around for, you know, for the kids just to do whatever they want. So we always had jobs, you know, I, I started working, renting pedal boats, my older brother when I was like 14. Um, And so I always had a job and was always sort of working on the side to to make money to do the things that I wanted to do. And and I I think that's important. And I I think, you know, a lot of kids in in Newport Beach where I live don't have to do that. Work is sort of an afterthought and they'd rather go party and have fun all the time. And, um, you know, I I wanted to do that in college and in high school. And I I did do a lot of that in high school. But at the same time, I had responsibilities If, if I wanted to go out. have money to go out I needed to go work and earn that on my own so that was I think a a good part of that of my sort of ethos of of growing up was the sort of this work um, ethic that was sort of instilled by my family
2: so you had your siblings that are crushing it and it was kind of a I can do that too not a oh man I'll never measure up hey if you're listening Uh if you're listening right now and you're on 1.5 speed because you know I talk too much you can do it too So you can choose to be depressed by the examples, or you can choose to be motivated, whether they're crushing it or not crushing it. You can do it too. So you decided to look at it with the eye of mentorship, look at it with the eye of I can do it too. Um, You were blessed with the need to work. And I had the same thing, but I kind of looked at it as, damn it, mom and dad, why aren't you spoiling me? Later on in life, it's like, thank God. So you're blessed with the work ethic and you've got respect for these people that are setting examples for you. So you're at Estancia high school. You must have just crushed it at Estancia high school to get into the greatest uh, university in California.
0: That would be the university of Southern California, university of California, Santa Barbara, baby.
2: Yeah. The Harvard of the West,
0: as my brother said
2: on the podcast. Well, if anybody ever says they're the of uh, they're really not that I said, shut up, Jerome. Yeah. The Harvard of the West. And so you must've done well in high school. Did, you played. Did you some... ever
0: figure out if Jerome was really adopted or not?
2: Um, I believe he was.
0: Uh, and you, uh, you, you played sports in, in, uh, high school volleyball, right? Yeah. I played, I played basketball for two years and then, uh, realized that I can't jump or shoot. So I, I stuck to playing volleyball, uh, which you also need to be able to jump in. Yeah, but I was like the back row specialist. I didn't really need to jump. But my claim to fame was I, I would come in back row for this guy named Matt Furbringer, who went on to play at Stanford, was All-American and part of the U.S. Olympic team and so forth. And uh, so I used to come in the back row when he couldn't pass.
2: Can you hear Jerome saying, hey, Brian, if you make your claim to fame someone else's fame, you're not that famous. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, Jerome, he's famous a now. Famous. I was not a very famous volleyball player. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so
2: you played volleyball just enough to get something on your transcript. Yeah. You got good grades. Um, you must have been doing a lot for the community because it's just it's so ingrained in your family. It carried into my family. Right. And, and then you head off. And I remember when we were in college, I remember a lot of things. And I was trying to think of something I could tell your son the other day. When a I was lot of things too, sitting down true. with him, but I couldn't think of anything I could tell your son. But I do remember something that you told me. I'm a four-year four-bath. And you kept saying four-year four-bath because there's a lot of people that get that fifth year and you're like, no, no, no. I kind of adopted that attitude. Okay, I'm going to be a four-year steward. My kids are going to be four-year stewards. So you go to college and I know what life was like in college. I remember playing Frisbee in your dorm room. I remember some visits from the police to me and not to you. I remember a wonderful moment in my life when you and all the other roommates moved out of the house because I was such a crappy roommate and left me with the bill, which I. Your wife did
0: wonder. The best thing you ever did was marry Jill. She
2: she turned you into a saint. I understand that. So we don't really talk about my messy background too much on the show because it's kind of embarrassing and I've become a different person. I remember your life in college, but why don't you tell us what was life like in college you knew you wanted to be a lawyer. What were you doing in college to get ahead? Because I know you weren't working with me at college works, busting your ass, working uh, really hard. So you must have done something else.
0: Yeah, no. So I, I was a history major. I always sort of that's what interested me and, and, you know, allowed me. It was a good skill for being a lawyer because it really sort of taught you how to write. So, you know, history major. And I thought it was pretty easy because all you do is write a paper or two, a quarter and take a midterm and a test. And it was sort of the same thing each time. So that was, that was pretty straightforward and, and easy to do. I also, um, you know, took a lot of foreign languages. I always thought it was sort of important to learn Spanish. Um, I wasn't very good at it in school, but I, I stuck with it. And I went, uh, lived abroad, went to school in Spain for a semester. I, I think that was one of the, the better things I ever did in my life was to go study abroad Really get to learn sort of a, a different cult a different perspective on life from how Americans sort of view ourselves, and get sort of the European view of, of America. Opens your eyes a little bit. Then um, I al- always worked during the summer. I actually I, I tell people to this day the best job I've ever had in my life was working on the Catalina Flyer every summer, going to Catalina, uh, get four hours off every day on the island, four or five hours off every day on the island to go fart around, do whatever we want, go scuba diving, spear fishing, golfing, hanging out, and um, that was what funded, you know, all my fun in college and funded you know, my travels around Europe and stuff. Again, you know, my parents didn't have a lot of money to be handing me to go do all that. And th- that's what supported me. Um, and it was, it was, it was a really good gig. So I got to stop for a second. <laughs> my son just
2: pulled up in the last M6 competition convertible ever made because he's home from college and yeah. That's the car he had to drive yesterday. So I'm talking to Brian Forbath about working every summer. And I'm sitting yeah. in my mind. I'm thinking, God, my son hates that I make him work every summer. He, he. I think he thinks I'm just trying. He understands what I'm doing. He, He knows yeah. the whole vision and he knows that I'm not trying to spoil him. And he just pulls up in my black on black on black M6 convertible (laughs) at 20 years old. Anyway,
0: back to you. So you're, I I make my kid drive our old 2008 Toyota Sequoia. You're giving me a hard time about. Well,
2: I, 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 and if you're listening, Zach, your dad's got enough money to buy you a new car. He won't. And I won't buy Jake one, but you need your dad to buy himself a better, better car. So you can drive that when you're here. Back to you again, little sister. Oh uh, w- well, we're we're not going to talk about that. Yeah. You're going to have some issues with her, I think. So uh, you're studying history, which I also studied. I took a dual major with Poli Sci because I wanted to be a lawyer and I knew I needed to write things. But yeah. if you want to be noticed, you have to do something different. So you take off to Spain, Seville, Spain, and you live there for a whole year. And um, in Valencia, Spain. Oh, Valencia! And I
0: live for for six months. For six for months a, in Valencia.
2: It's always jealous of that. My brother went to Madrid for a full year. Yeah. You're back, you're always working because you had to. But if you're listening right now, you don't have to work. Do it anyway. Uh, renting out paddle boats sounds crappy. You get the communication skills, you have to you get the work ethic, you get the time management. You move to the Catalina Flyer. Great job. You get on a great boat, motor across for a couple hours. You got to stay there while the people are hanging out on the island you get a new group of people to come back were you getting paid while you're scuba diving
0: and spirit yeah fishing? i get i would get, get paid for the whole day and, and that was the other thing It was like i worked with i was the only person there on the boat that was like in college you know at college at the time everybody else was like not really going to school and stuff but I, again i was the only person that was like hustling to serve drinks and make tips and whatever and like i'm not just going to sit around on my laurels and just collect a paycheck here i might as, i'm here i might as well work and make more money doing it so i always I was always sort of busting my butt around and to make as much cash as I could during the job.
2: And if you're not hustling now, you got to hustle sometime, no time better than the present. And that's another, I my son, you know, he went and worked uh, for a restaurant and he went in kind of, you know, a normal, I'm, he was 14 or 15, uh, went in a normal underage worker that should be working at a restaurant with normal kid communication skills and normal, you know, kid kind of lack of, of confidence with adults and he came out a different person. He came out like, I see him talking to older people even way back down, like, oh my God, look at him. It's amazing. So you're developing all these skills on the boat. It's not what you wanna do for the rest of your life. You probably don't even know you're developing the skills, but we noticed, we noticed in college, we knew Brian Forbath was someone that was gonna do something with his life. We knew that Brian Forbath was someone to emulate. We knew when Brian Forbath talks, shut up and listen. So you come back to UCSB, i by that time, you know, straightened myself out. I'm not showing up at oh, four sorry. in the morning. Well, you and know, you bought a Maserati, you bought a Maserati. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I well, but remember, Brian, I was working so hard. Remember they used to make fun of Stewie, why are you working so hard? Stewie, what are you doing? It doesn't matter what you know, it matters who you know. Stewie. And I'm like, hey guys, I've always wanted to be rich. And I wanted to be rich because I felt like that was what it was to be successful. And so I just had this focus and this chip on my shoulder. I got to just beat all those people that were way more spoiled than me because that's what it takes. And then, you know, wisdom comes and it's not that. You know, it's it's what you do for others. And, you know, power isn't about abusing power. Power is about using power to help others. And I I learned a lot of that from you. Yes, I did have a Maserati and you may remember that it broke and I couldn't afford to fix it. And I pushed it around from house to house. But by the time you came back, I was no longer breaking into your room at four o'clock in the morning and no longer turning the stereo on at four o'clock in the morning just to have fun. I had mellowed out. So I I had some real pivotal grow up moments. And if you're kind of a screw off right now, it's okay. You can grow up, too, but you got to do it sometime. So, you know, I started to change my path. And really, it was my job that helped me change my path. Like, You know, I got into the the college works program. I started, you know, learning how to work, having responsibility. I treated my employees horribly and they all quit. So I had these horrible stinging moments and I realized, yeah, you know, it's time to stop being an ass. You realize that way before me. So you're in college, you're doing pretty good. And then, did you go to Loyola Law School right out of college?
0: No, I took a year off, and that, that's something I would highly recommend to people. Um, you know, if you're if you're thinking about going to law school, take that year off between college and law school. Go have fun, go do things, because you know once you start working, you're you're working for the rest of your life. And so, if you can afford to do it or borrow money to go do it, do it. I, I, that's what I did. I racked up a bunch of credit card debt, but I went and I lived in in Argentina for about six months. And uh, after after college and and just had a great time, learned, really learned how to speak Spanish down there and uh, just had an awesome time traveling the country and and really had the opportunity to immerse myself in a a new and different culture and and really learn a lot about myself by by traveling around in South America and being down there. It was a great experience. I I would highly encourage people to uh, to go take that gap year between college and and law school if they're going to go to law school.
1: Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disk assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of this show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com podcast. Now, back to the show.
2: Well, buenos tardes, Brian Forbath. We're going to throw an honor on Han flag at you you could tell i didn't go to spain or i've been to argentina five times uh we're gonna discourage you from racking up credit card debt if you're listening right now (laughs) we're gonna discourage you from borrowing money there is another way to do it make money in the summers save it don't blow it on a maserati put 10 grand in the bank and then go use that as an investment into your future don't borrow money brian's full of crap you shouldn't do that but you're down in argentina
0: Go ahead. Well, I did. I, I worked all summer, save a bunch of money to go. But at the same time, I, I wasn't going like, to let my amount of money that I had stop me from this once in a lifetime opportunity to have a, just a wonderful time in, in South America. So, I, I, again, I, I worked. I, I saved a bunch of money. But then I ended up using a bunch of credit cards to to finance the end of the trip. So it was worth it. Every penny of it.
2: And Jake Stewart, if you're listening to this, your mom suggested that you get a credit card. Do not get a credit card. Credit cards are the devil. My wife had twenty five grand worth of credit card debt in nineteen ninety seven when we got married. I had like thirty grand worth of credit card debt. We carried that debt for so long and paid so much interest. Live beneath your means, unlike I did. And Brian's lived beneath his means his entire life except for that year. So this is a
0: bad example. I I always, I'm always living between my uh, in my means. The only time I ever sort of spent money that I didn't have was really to to travel to to do sort of those once in a lifetime opportunity things that I didn't have money. And, And again, that was. The only time after I graduated law school, you know, I knew I had a job. I knew I had income coming in. I didn't have any money at the time. And, and I borrowed a bunch of money to go travel to Europe and do that at that point in time. But, but those are the only times I've got out over my skis in terms of in terms of borrowing money that I, I didn't have. OK, so you're living down in Buenos Aires,
2: right? Yes. You're living down in Buenos Aires in an apartment above Lord Black's. And were you uh, doing your college applications? From that location, your your grad school applications, or was that six months and you came back and settled down to business with the LSAT and, and grad I school? Think I
0: think uh, I, if I remember correctly, I, I had already sent my law school applications in before I went to South America, I, I believe, but I can't remember. It's
2: okay, front load it, front load it. You do your work first, your fun second. Yeah. So you're munching on empanadas, uh, cruising over yeah. to Uruguay to get some wine.
0: de uh, leste. did de leste. leste. Like the, the best beach resort South America in, in your life, for
2: all. Oh, the- oh, you're, you're bringing me back. You're bringing me back to Argentina. Yeah. I spent so much time there. I, le- I once went to Patagonia for 36 hours and it took me 56 hours to get there and back, which is, I rode, dumb. I
0: rode a motorcycle all the way through the Andes. good chunks of it when I was down there. Okay. Well,
2: that, well, by the way, if uh, you're associated with any of my organizations, please do not take no, a year off. We love you. <laughs> do it later in life. And by the way, I never got to do the study abroad. My brother did. You did. I never got to do six, six months away. So I decided I was so pissed off. I missed this trip to Spain with my family because I was doing my college works thing. I decided I'm going to go to Europe every year for the rest of my life. And besides COVID, I've been to Europe every year for the rest of my life, most of them paid by other organizations because I was giving a speech or running something. Um, so I figured it out. So if you're if you're not on that path or you miss that path, it's OK. Set a new goal, especially if you work in one of my organizations. We want to keep you around. So you're down there. You decide you're going to go to Loyola Law School. You come yeah. back to beautiful California. You get your law degree. And then you did something that most people don't do. You went and started working for an organization, and you've been working for the same organization ever since. How did you pick your law
0: firm? how did How did you pick such a good fit? Yeah, you know, it's really sort of luck. I I mean, really. I I mean, you know, growing up in Costa Mesa, you know, and living in Newport when I was in law school, I always knew I wanted to be back here in Orange County. And there's really sort of like two or three really top tier law firms in, in Southern California that's straddling where I'm at, Ratana Tucker, O'Melveny, and Myers. And quite frankly, you know, coming out of Loyola, Loyola is sort of a, a third tier law school to SC, UCLA, et cetera. And there's not as many opportunities coming out of there as there are some other schools. But I got lucky. I mean, I, I only had, I think, like three or four job interviews as a you know graduating from law school, but I got offers from all three or four of those. Or like people who were at the very top of the class in Loyola, they had, you know, gazillions of interviews and they may or may not have gotten offers. But so I had sort of limited options, but I mean, I interviewed and I got hired. So
2: so you, you go to <laughs> USC and you don't. And, and, and I mean, USC was such a pitiful school. We went to UCSB. Yeah. I think it was ranked like 52. And then I don't know what happened. They anybody write, could get in. Right. Check. Yeah. Back, back then, anybody could get in. Now it's really hard to get in. Um, because I guess the whole country is spoiled and they all want to go there. The, the law school, though, was has always been very prestigious. UCLA law has always been prestigious. Loyola was like a third tier. How did you get the interviews? Was it because you went to Spain? Was it because you spoke Spanish? Was it your Argentina experience? What was it that got you in the door?
0: Well, uh, I mean, I, I did well at, at Loyola. I was like just outside of the top ten percent, but like it's really like this. There's this like fine line cutoff to Loyola. If you're in like the top five percent, you've got lots of opportunities at big firms. But if you're outside of that, then you're sort of scratching and fighting your way to get interviews. And, and again, I, I didn't get very many interviews, but I, I luckily have a little bit of the gift of gab in in, in terms of interview process. And again, there, I don't, I can't think of an interview I've had where I didn't get hired. Okay, so I guess what you're
2: saying is it's better to be in the top of the class at a less prestigious law school than it is to be at the bottom of the class of,
0: say, Harvard. No, I, I think I, I think it's better to be at Harvard, or UCLA. SC gave me the Heisman, and I didn't get in. UCLA didn't take me. Loyola was my best option I had. So,
2: so you think if you would have gone to uh, USC or UCLA and you were in the
0: fiftieth percentile, you still would have gotten the job? Yeah, I think I probably would have gotten better offers than than where I got where I'm. Okay, y- so you want to go to the, in law in law? You want to go to the best law school you can get into?
2: And even if you're going to be the worst in that law school, you want to go to the best law school. Yep. Okay, well, this is very valuable for me. I did not know that. Yeah. All right. So uh, all of a sudden you get into this law firm and you didn't have the giant corner ocean view office. You probably had an inner no
0: window office. Well, th-
2: this is what I was gonna tell you about
0: it. And, and I, f- I forget if you remember this or not, but you know, one of the things that I will tell, always tell people going to law is, is you gotta be nimble and you gotta be observant of where you think you can see opportunities. Um, I started off always wanting to be a litigator, going to court, and you know, litigation. So I, I got hired to do that. I did that for about a year and I realized it sucks. It's, uh, you know, it's a tremendous amount of pressure. It's a huge grind. It's like writing a term paper, you know, three or four times a week. And, you know, I'm a lot like you, Matt, I, I would never start those papers until the very last minute before they're due. That's a miserable way to, to to do things. So I, when I was here, I, I saw sort of, the writing on the wall. That litigation really wasn't the aspect for me. But I I saw your partners and offices, you know, corner offices that you know lived in Kings Road, lived in Irvine Cove, and in you know in, in Laguna and and all those places. And I looked around and they didn't really have any associates with them in their practice. And they were in what we call the public finance practice, essentially municipal bonds. Saw an opportunity and I went over and I asked them if if they needed an associate and um, they jumped on it and they gave me job and I was able to sort of transfer internally from a litigation department to the bond department and that was the best move I ever made career wise for sure. So if you want to be a lawyer or if you want to be anything else in life. You have to be
2: nimble and observant. And maybe in law practice, it's even more important. How many lawyers are there in your practice?
0: In my law firm, there's about 100, 110 lawyers. In, in my practice group, we're about 35.
2: Okay. So you're in a, in a firm with 110 lawyers. You got to make yourself noticed. So you're in the litigation department and Brian's got the gift of gab, but a lot of time the litigators are gnarly, right? And so Brian. you... Yeah, you look around, and you're like, you know, I'm not that gnarly. Like, I'm thinking about that show. Uh, I just had to watch it. Yellowstone, when the female actress in Yellowstone is so gnarly. You're not gnarly like that. And you're looking around going, OK, I'm good at this. I'm at a, a prestigious firm. What opportunities? And you're looking into the distant future. And if you look at your life here, Brian, you know, you're kind of looking into the distant future when you're young. Always. I wanted to be a lawyer all my life. You wanted to be a lawyer all your life. I changed because I didn't want to be a dirtbag. You changed and figured out how to not be a dirtbag in that dirty dirty practice. So you uh, I hope I'm not going to get in trouble with this. But by the way, I kind of I kind of mentioned this a lot. Well, you're the president. Who cares? So uh, you uh, you're looking around and you say, hey, you know, my skill set is you know, you got many skills. But where are the opportunities that are going to directly align with my skill set? If I look out 10, 15 years, where am I? And you really got to think this way. Where am I going to make the biggest impact on my company? Because guess what, Gen Z? It's not about what the world can do for you. It's about what you can do for the world. And the world is your family. What are you doing for your mom and dad? Your work, what are you doing for your company? The company is not going to come and say, hey, guess what? Here's a wonderful thing for you. And you knew this. And so you decide, where am I going to make the biggest impact? And you see that there's a section that is missing people. So that's one thing. There's, a, there's room for me. But the second thing, I can crush it in the municipality law practice. And so people know what that's, litigator...
0: Uh, go ahead. No, I was going to say that's, that's essentially what I, what I saw, Matt, is, is, is I saw you know a bunch of guys that had super successful practices that were very well off. And there, for whatever reason, there wasn't like young people coming up in the ranks of that. And I think what happened was, you know, I, I sort of graduated law school in the very early, you know, the very early part of the tech, you know, early tech bubble, sort of, you know, Netscape and all these things were all happening, these big IPOs. And so there was a big push that all the lawyers wanted to go into corporate practice, get in on the IPOs, make a bunch of money get out and whatever. And I'll be honest with you, the, the attrition on the corporate side was is tremendous. I mean, I was, one of, I think, eight associates that started. And within, you know, three years or four years, there was only two of us left. Uh, All the other corporate guys had all burned out or left or gone in-house and done other things just because of, you know, the the attrition on the corporate side where, you know, I kind of looked at the slow and I like the slow and steady of, you know, being a municipal bond lawyer. And, and, um, you know, it's really a unique opportunity because you know, most people don't know it, but municipal bonds are an integral part of sort of California and, and how it's developed. I mean, our, our practice sort of is broad based in that, you know, we finance, we we finance essentially all of the public infrastructure that we're around here. Like just by example, I just did last year refinance the 73 toll road and the 241 toll road. Each one of those were, you know, over billion dollar transactions where we, um We represented the the public agency there, issued refunding bonds, and saved hundreds of millions of dollars for each of the agencies. We also, you know, we form all of what we call the community facilities districts or mellow roots districts that finance all of the street, road, water, sewer improvements all throughout Rancho Mission Viejo, Ladera, City of Irvine, and all over the place. And then we also represent, you know, a, a wide Range of cities, counties, school districts, and financing schools, county facilities, city halls. And I financed the city hall in Newport that nobody likes. Uh, we've we've did the finance, original financing for the for the Bay Bridge up in San Francisco, and then and then more recently we we've sort of expanded. It's been interesting. I've I've been hired recently by um by the by the Rams, the LA Los Angeles Rams, and sort of helping them finance their stadium alternatives uh, at SoFi. i uh, you know. I'll, little niche of I got hired by the Chargers and and helped them with some of their failed stadium programs down in San Diego. And then I'm currently assisting the Oakland A's in their stadium projects in in Oakland and and potentially in Nevada if the Oakland aspects doesn't work. So being a municipal finance, was was, it it turned out to be not really a very boring topic after all. It's very interesting and and allows me to wear lots of different hats and get involved in super you know, interesting projects, you know, like we, we just financed a $150 million uh, event center up in Reno, Nevada, um, in South Lake. So that, and that'll that be open next year. So all sorts of cool projects. Okay. So we're going to get
2: into it. First of all, we're going to take a little side note. How about those Cardinals? Uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what, what I, I'm not a big sports fan, but how can you with your punt return and kickoff return team, never make it past the 11 yard line in a playoff game?
0: Yeah. Aaron Donald and Vaughn Miller crushed them. <laughs> wow. It was, and, and because
2: of all these connections with these sports teams, uh, do you get tickets and do you want to take me?
0: Uh, well, I, I the Rams are a little tight on that. I haven't really gotten Rams The the A's I, I could get any time. And, uh, you know, the chargers I used to get invited, but, but they're, Not so much anymore. And how
2: about that SoFi Stadium in that VIP section where you have access to that bar right on the field with 1942 for free? Yeah, that's amazing. I've only been there once. The parking sucks. I I wish that the municipality law firm that helped finance that SoFi Stadium would have also brought in an architecture firm that could help them understand how not to build a parking lot. It's pretty easy. Go to Kansas City to the baseball football complex in Kansas for the Royals and the Chiefs and spend two hours getting out of there after the game and you know what not to do. But SoFi Stadium did the exact same thing. What the hell's going on?
0: Right, well, they just realized that they're gonna charge 100 bucks or 200 bucks for parking. Okay so what
2: you do is you build a really shitty parking structure if you want to go into the uh, business of building stadiums build a shitty parking structure and then another one next to it where you charge $200 and you'll make more money off parking
0: Yeah I'm doing right now actually I'm I'm working with the city of Anaheim we got hired on the the Anaheim Ducks are redoing their whole stadium project it's called OC Vibe it's going to be a super cool project it's going to be like La, it's going to be like La Live, but around the Honda Center. So they're they're building parking there, Matt, four new parking garages. Well, and, and yeah. for for
2: all those international listeners and listeners all over the country, I know you don't understand any of these cities or teams that Brian's talking about. It's all Southern California. But let's get back to what you do. So everybody knows what a trial lawyer does and a litigator does. We see it on TV, but that's like one or two percent of lawyers. Corporate lawyers, they do a whole lot of contracts. You have to have kind of a C personality type. If you don't know what a C is and you haven't done the disc test, go to like episode four or five, listen to it, get a disc test. Most lawyers are kind of in the the perfect paper production program, the four Ps. It has to be perfect. It has to be, you're writing a lot of stuff. And if you screw up one word, you're toast. So that's why you gotta be a high C in that area. You're in municipality law. So municipality law, kind of what do you do? We, we know you issue bonds, but we, most people don't even know what that means. We know you somehow raise money for all these things that we're building, freeways and city
0: halls and stadium parking. What, what's your day to day? So what, what we do is I represent either cities, counties, school districts or special districts or investment banks, Citigroup, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, Stiefel, uh, Nicholas. And others, and, and so what we do is we help public agencies raise money. Essentially, we help them borrow money by leveraging certain revenue streams they have, whether it be taxes, assessments, or rates and charges that you you know people pay on their bills from their homes. So we help um, develop and monetize streams of revenue to secure what we call municipal bonds that are sold by investment banks to the public and put in brokerage accounts around the world. A lot of times, those bonds are what we call tax exempt. So if you own, Matt Stewart owns $100,000 of bonds, and it's a a 5% interest, the $5,000 you earn each year on that interest is tax exempt. You pay no state or federal income tax on that. So it's a very sort of attractive way of people to diversify their portfolios. And 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 it's a cheap borrowing method for public agencies. So our job is as bond counsel uh, is one of our roles. And there we will help structure the transaction and we will give the various legal opinions and tax advice that are required to issue tax-exempt municipal securities. We also play a role what we call disclosure counsel. And sometimes we do this as underwriters counsel, counsel to the investment bank where we're in charge of drafting what we call the official statement or the prosbestic, prosbestics. It's like a like a stock prospectus. The bonds are offered and sold to the public on, and those documents come with, um, you know, a lot of federal securities law considerations that have to take into, and take into consideration with drafting them. You have to disclose all material information, not omit to state any material facts needed to make the statements contained there and not misleading in connection with the offering of municipal security. So our job is to is to help draft those documents and help to pull the transaction together and and help uh, public agency clients or our investment bankers execute their transactions in an economical way and get paid to do it.
2: Okay, so we're going to back up a little bit. You didn't mention Goldman Sachs, the greatest investment bank of oh, in Goldman country. Sachs.
0: dude, we represent them?
2: You know yes. Jill's cousins, the president of Goldman Sachs? I did not know that. How crazy I did is I know that? that? Yeah, yeah. and he did the college painting thing in a different company at the same time as me. And now I have an internship. Now I have a construction company. He's the president of Goldman Sachs. And, you know, Joe Duran is the CEO of Goldman Sachs Wealth Management. Oh, okay. And then you also didn't mention the greatest basketball team of all time, the Kings. Did you help finance their stadium, which was financed based on future parking revenue from turning their parking lots into 16 hour parking lots instead of eight hour parking lots?
0: You know, I didn't but one of my partners did. They were he represents the county, the city and county Sacramento, but I wasn't involved in that transaction. Okay, we so also, that- one of one of my clients, one of my partners also represented the Clark County, which is, you know, the county out in Las Vegas and in, in connection with the Raiders stadium that was just, you know, open.
2: Okay, so I know a lot about that building of the uh, the King Stadium and I thought it was genius. So, the the stadium's located right by the Capitol. The capitals, the parking lots are used for eight hours a day. They say, hey, people don't want to pay taxes for the stadium. The owners didn't want to pay the, pay for the stadium. It's going to be whatever, $400 million. And so they said, all right, we got all these parking lots. We're going to have things going 300 days a year. We're going to sell parking 300 days a year. Let's sell bonds on the future revenue of that parking. Yep. Which is a genius move. So when, when we take down what you all do in your firm there, first of all, there's somebody or some group that has to identify the method of raising the money like the parking
0: method. That would be an analytical person. Is that in your firm? Yeah, you know, usually usually that comes to us. That's usually the investment bankers or or the city itself that talks about the revenue stream. They'll sort of present the idea to us of here's the revenue stream and then and then our job is to look at it and figure out how we can make the pledge or lean on those revenues sort of bulletproof that we can bond against it. Okay. So there's some
2: genius out there or geniuses, and maybe they work at the investment banking firms, which have a lot of geniuses in them. And they're thinking of new and interesting ways to find money. That's not a municipality lawyer. Then there's someone. Yeah. what?
0: But that, that's right. The, those are the investment bankers.
2: And then that same group. So that's an analytical person, C score, probably an I and a D included. Then there's someone that's figuring the value. And again, an analytical person. Then there's another person that actually issues the bonds. That's going to be a banker. That's kind of a salesperson, excites people, does the deal. And in the middle of all that is the municipality lawyers that are organized. You got to be organized. You got to be diligent. You got to be careful. And they're writing up the paperwork, making it all work, and making sure nobody does anything
0: that shouldn't be done. And and another, another important aspect of it, uh, Matt is, you know, we, we've got to go to city councils or public, you know, public agencies to go present these ideas. And so it's really important. And th- this is why we get hired a lot. You, you've got to be able to synthesize and put these super complex topics and ideas in and express that in a very plain and simple way that people who are not familiar with these complex financing structures understand them. And that, that's part of what we get paid to do.
2: OK, so you're organized, you're careful, you're hardworking, you're good at time management, you're diligent, and you're an unbelievable communicator, even though the Zoom system at your office sucks. Correct. OK, uh, the people that are listening right now do not know how many times we had to stop and start because Brian keeps cutting out. All right, so that gets to values, right? And so I want to I go back to it. You know, they, they trust you. They know what you stand for. Um, you have a reputation. You have a wake behind you. So you could have been a screw off in, in high school like I was. I don't live in New Mexico anymore because people still think I'm a screw off there. They, they go to my my father-in-law all the time. Well, your, your daughter married Matt Stewart. He's a screw off. Well, I was until I turned 19 and now I'm not. So Brian's got a wake behind him. Everybody knows his reputation. You don't get to get the big minutes. Municip- they won't hire you if you're not a Brian Forbath. They're hiring people that have a great reputation, not just for getting it done, not just for making it happen, not just for setting up winning deals,
0: but for their morals and their values, right? Yeah, no that's right, Matt I, and, and you know people you know Brian Forbath didn't get hired like immediately overnight. He had to work hard and sort of building up that trust and 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 my my advice was always to, you know, be kind considerate. And helpful to all those people you come across in life because you never know when those people might rise to a position where they have decision-making ability to hire you. And if 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 it comes to that, they're like, oh my gosh, Brian Forwath was so great to me, he super helped me out when I was young and I didn't understand those things. That goes a long ways to people and it goes a long ways for future success. And so you gotta sort of you, you gotta make that investment early on by going out of your way to help people. Um, and um, put your, you know, be the sort of can-do guy or woman for people, so that they will see you as, oh my gosh, I'm just, and or I'm gonna call Matt because they know they'll they'll know the answer to this, and if they don't know the answer to this, they'll figure it out. And that's yeah, that's so, who you want to be. So your
2: reputation needs to be managed. Your relationships need to be managed. It is not an accident that Brian and I are friends. Brian calls me all the time, way more than I call him. You're really good. You're probably one of the best at this. My grandfather, I used to go to England and my parent, my dad said to me when I was 12 years old, watch your grandfather. He's one of the best I've ever seen at maintaining relationships. I made a decision right then to maintain relationships, call people when they're down, check in when they're having a hard time, call them randomly. You're the master at calling people randomly. Make time for lunch. Make time for hanging out. Don't forget your family at home, which sometimes I think, God, do I? Enough, do I spend enough time with my family at home? Don't forget your family at home, but the relationships have to be managed and the reputation. I had a guy on this on the podcast who, you know, he got popped by the cops for doing something bad, and we had to stop in the middle and edit all that out of the podcast. And he ended up just crushing it in life. So if you've screwed up, or you're listening right now, and you've done some bad things in the past, okay, stop. You can start over. Have a good next seventy-five years if you've had a bad few years. Brian was never. Really a screw off, uh, but Brian and I were chugging beers in the streets of Isla Vista thirty years ago, and you know now you know we have these these you know somewhat prestigious positions um, because we didn't keep chugging beers for the entire thirty years. We didn't keep kind of just having fun for the entire thirty years. We realized to manage our relationship, and we both know people who you know we don't trust and we don't call because. They haven't done the things that Brian has done to build up his re- relationship and his reputation. So, uh,
0: Brian, are you surprised at all by where you are now in life? Yeah, you know, I, I am. Mad. I mean, I feel fortunate and blessed in, in many things. But, you know, I, I've, always, I've always told, I always tell people, I always tell my, you know, my associates and younger partners here, I'll always bet on self. I think if you know I you know if you're confident that you can bet on yourself to succeed I think you will succeed and you got to have that attitude um that you know you can be the person you can be the guy you can be the woman you know, bet on self and and you, and you can win That's yeah you told me You told me when we were talking the other day that uh, you love to
2: hire entrepreneurial lawyers. You said every lawyer that gets hired comes to your office before they get hired. And you're looking for entrepreneurial people, people that bet on themselves, people that
0: make it happen. Right. Yeah, that's what you need. It's like, you know, there's a lot of lawyers out here in the world that just sort of want to take what what comes to them. But, you know, I want to hire people that want to go out and get work that people want to go out and get do things in the community to make themselves visible and, and so forth. And, you know, to be successful as a lawyer, you know, you either you either have to be a subject matter expert or you've got to be a huge business developer. And, you know, and, and even better if you could do both. But, you know, business development is, is crucial to being a successful lawyer and and, you know, the number one skill I always, or number one thing I always look for when I'm hiring somebody is somebody who's entrepreneurial in nature who's is not just going to sit on their hands in, 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 the, in their office and, and not get out and go and do things. So if you want to be a lawyer you're listening right now, one, you have to be nimble and observant, like Brian said.
2: Two, you have to be kind of a salesperson. You've got business development means you go get business, you get more clients. Yeah. So all the stuff that goes into sales You need to be a lawyer. All the stuff that goes into management, Brian's running a giant business. It's a law firm. It's got a huge payroll. It's got huge revenue. He's a business person that happens to be a lawyer. So you're not surprised because you've been betting on yourself, but we got to ask you one last question. And I know you got to get back to whatever city or sports team you're working with. And I appreciate you making a, I don't know, it's probably a $7,000 hour you sacrificed for me. Um, What sacrifices did you make in your 20s that
0: you'll never regret. You know, I, it's it's hard to say that. I, I mean, what sacrifices did I make that I'll never regret? I, I, I don't I don't regret working hard, and I don't regret like sort of missing out on on some of the fun and some of the relationships I I may have developed had I not been working as as hard. I, I think it's it's you know hard work, and unfortunately, being a lawyer, you're always sort of an hour an hourly wage slave. You're you're sort of stuck to your desk based on how much you know you can bill or how much the people under you can bill. And that's just the way it is. And um the only way that I think that you can become a good lawyer is by actually doing things and by doing deals, by going to court or doing whatever it is. And um, you know, the, the only way you get there is by by hard work and, and doing it. So I don't I don't regret working hard. I don't think I would be where I am today had I not sort of sacrificed a bunch of that time in in my 20s. Of course, I I given up the game of golf because I'm I'm embarrassing to my family, my friends, myself, my kids, you know, but uh, that's one thing I'd like to get back into at some point.
2: Well, you'll have time in the future. And I was thinking about (laughs) this as you said it. At the time, you and I regretted not going to some of the parties because we were doing other things yeah. at the time you and I regretted having to go into our rooms and study while somebody else is going to the bar it, and it's short-term short-term pain brings long-term gain short uh short-term pleasure usually and often brings long-term pain and I was thinking you know you and I are really good friends we've been good friends forever uh what would we be, would we be good friends if I had just kept screwing off in college and never gonna have done the stupid painting thing and worked my ass off? Would we be if you had just been screwing off? No, because respect is the most important thing. So you sacrifice a little fun now. And we know some people that just kept partying. We, You don't call them on the phone. I don't call them on the phone. You hang out and you work with people you respect. You make time for people you respect and you lift each other up as you move forward, right? Hey, Matt,
0: I always would have loved you. I'd call you still to this day, even if you were still a fuck up. Uh, well, uh, uh, Zach, if
2: you're listening, that's the first time your dad has ever used the F word. Um, and I want to tell you, I'm really glad you got rid of the fro. You look much more professional now that your hair's uh, high and tight. Thank you so much for making time out of your super busy schedule today. Um, thank you for sharing all this great insight into how to become a lawyer, how to find your job in a law firm, how to be nimble, how to make make impact. Thank you for being on the edge of excellence.
0: Hey, thanks, Matt. I appreciate uh, appreciate the opportunity to be here with you. And I wish everybody who's uh, considering a, a career in legal work, uh, to, good luck.
2: And if you're looking for Brian, you can find him at Stradling Yoka Carlson Roth. Um, you can send him an email, call him on his phone. I'll put his phone number in the show notes. Uh, we will look forward to hearing that Brian has hired many successful lawyers from the show.
1: I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Edge of Excellence podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com slash podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com slash podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.